You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, Alana Levine here. Together with Sam Mayer, I host How to Be More Chill, a podcast devoted to our beloved musical, Be More Chill. Listen, I just want to tell you that if you're around the weekend of January 25th, go to BroadwayCon. All of the fabulous podcasts that are part of the Broadway Podcast Network are going to be there live, interviewing your favorite stars, and BroadwayCon is just a blast. So get yourself to BroadwayCon, find the Broadway Podcast Network events, and if you love Broadway, you're going to love this weekend. Or pretend to check a text on my phone. Hey everyone, I'm Sam. I am Alana. And welcome to the How to Be More Chill podcast. We are now on what Alana and I are calling version 2.0 of the How to Be More Chill podcast because our first five episodes, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't yet, sort of tell the story of how Be More Chill got to Broadway. And now... Well, now they are well into the Broadway run. And as we start 2.0, we're really getting a sense of what the world is to do the show eight times a week uh, from the performers, creatives, behind the scenes, everyone involved, because it really is one thing to like dream about going to Broadway. And now they are on Broadway. Or the 2.0 version is the here and now yeah. of what's happening in the world of Be More Chill versus the you know story of how it, it how got it to run. So for episode seven, we talked to Jason Tam. We had him in the studio and it was an incredibly special hour to spend with this lovely, gorgeous, incredible human. He's so talented and what so, was so compelling is that what we know about the squip is that he can be inside everybody else's head, but it was kind of thrilling to get a chance to talk and get inside the squip's head, or in this case, Jason Tam's head, and understand what goes into creating a character like the squip. Um, And we got so much insight into what his process was, not only for the character, but sort of all of the choreography that goes along with the squip and what it's like to play the squip and his role within the ensemble in that way. It was incredible. And special shout out to all the fans who asked questions on Twitter. We fed them to him. He gave great answers. Yes. Thank you for doing our job for us. They were the best questions, really, of the episode. We, we now turn over this podcast to be directed and produced by the fans. Absolutely. Jason Tam, let's do this. Welcome to Super Quantum Unit Intel Processor. You square. Jason Tam, what was the first can you tell us about the first time you ever encountered the concept of Be More Chill? Uh yeah, the first time I encountered the concept of Be More Chill was uh um Joe had asked me to do a demo of Michael in the Bathroom. Um he had written a few songs for Be More Chill. Um, uh, and, and this was something that was going to be sent around, uh, to theater companies to see, you know, uh, who would bite. Um, and, uh, that song in particular, all of Joe's music is incredible, but that song in particular is truly incredible because of the journey that it goes on. It's truly like a three act play yeah. all condensed into one song. There's so much storytelling that happens in it and it's so catchy and it's so, 
uh, uh, it's filled with so much truth, so much um, uh, things that we all go through that hadn't necessarily been written into a song in that way before in musical theater. Um, So uh, uh, that was my first experience. It was quite an experience. And is it safe to say then that you were literally the first person to ever sing Michael in the bathroom? I mean, maybe Joe tinkering on the piano? I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I, think, I think maybe to record it, sure. Um, uh, but yeah, Joe always sings, speaks, sings his own music in his Joe Iconis way that I like, I love. Uh, um, so I'm sure that there's a recording of him uh, singing that song. Do you remember anything he told you about the song, like when he sent it to you or when you sort of started working on it? No, uh, he is the kind of collaborator that um, uh, unless he has something truly that's like tearing his soul apart that he doesn't like, he lets his artists that he works with do their own thing. I mean, I think that he picks the kind of artists that he can trust in that way. Um, And uh, so, yeah, you like at one point. It just, you know, uh, it it said um, the part where uh, uh, Michael starts singing, I want to dance with somebody. And I was like, what, how should I, how should that go? And like, how should it be? And he's like, just do whatever you want. And I was like, oh, okay. And there's a part where it says, uh, you know, just the letter M and uh, now I'm just, and it's just M. Um, which is like brilliant, and there's so many things that actors could do with that. And I was like, "What? What do you want with this?" And he's like, "Do whatever you want." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, great." And so in that demo, it's um, yeah, it's like it's different, uh, uh, and somebody else that you know George does it differently than I did, and you know uh, uh, um, somebody else further down the line will do it differently than either George or I do it. And there's just, it's so open to interpretation. It's, it's really genius. That's so cool. Yeah. So you had already known Joe pre the Be More yes. Chill experience. Uh-huh. When did you first encounter each other? Uh, we first encountered each other, uh, um, doing, uh, um, I did, uh, Things to Ruin. So that was my first kind of Joe show that I did at uh, Ars Nova, um, which is sort of like his Joe Iconis, you know, rock and roll jamborees. It's a lot of uh, uh, standalone songs that sort of weave together to, to, to create a world, a Joe Iconis world. Um, but they're all standalone songs. And so that's, that was my first experience. So And, and so for Be More Joel specifically, it was this re- very first recording ever of Michael in the bathroom that you did. And then for Be More Chill, the next step in the journey is being cast for Off-Broadway? Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I would like to intro this section then by saying that uh, I knew that we weren't getting Eric during that spring of the show. Between the Jersey production and the New York production. Or after the Off-Broadway production was announced, I said, I I followed the whole story about uh, King Kong and knew that we weren't. So I was so excited and curious about who the squib would, would be. be our squib. And I don't think I really knew that you were part of the Joy Kindness family crew. And so what happened is at the 54 Below show, I think it was a two-player game, uh, you walked in, I think, maybe right as the show was starting and sat with the cast. And I had a light bulb go off in my head and I was like, oh! Because like, <laughs> it wasn't announced yet and I don't even think like Jen had told anyone yet and I then spent the rest of two-player game 
being so excited about Jason Tam table. And then I walked over to Jen afterwards, and I said, "Is Jason Tam sitting with them for the reason I think he is?" And she goes, "Yep." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" So how did you find? That's how Sam found uh, yeah. out. Yeah. Uh-huh. How did you find out? And uh, what was the journey? Sure, uh, uh, Joe Iconis sent me an email asking if I wanted to. Um, do a show together spend this he yeah an email he asked if we wanted if i wanted to spend the summer together and i was like yes <laughs> on, on on 42nd street yes. is what he said and i was like yes absolutely i responded with a little um uh, uh wedding ring emoji that and just said i do that's so sweet <laughs> um had you seen the show when it was a two river I did not. I didn't make it out there. I can't remember why, but something must have been happening in my life. But um, I didn't make it out there. I just, uh, 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 you know, really kind of uh, uh, got back in touch with the show when when all of the crazy buzz around it started exploding on the Internet. So did you know what the script was? Did you know the show? Or he makes you an offer and then you read the script? And, like, how do you start understanding the world of the play beyond the demos and the concert version of it. Yeah, definitely for, by reading the script. Right. And being like, wow, this is, uh, first of all, just the most fascinating circumstances. Uh, I've never uh, played the kind of character like that before. Somebody that is, uh, um, you know, um, in a world, but only interacting with one person mm-hmm. in that world. Uh, and... Um, it was so appealing to me because I, I saw it on the page and I saw I didn't fully understand how it was going to work. And that was really exciting to me. I'm really like excited by projects where that are challenging and that um, uh, uh, are like puzzle pieces that I have to fit together. Um, yeah. And so did you have questions or did you just think we'll dig in? When, did you know Stephen Brackett, the director, before? I didn't. No, I'd never worked with him. I'd seen his work before. Right. Um, a friend of mine was in a show uh, that he directed called City Of, and uh, I really – I liked his direction, and he created this. It was a crazy play. I mean, there were all kinds of weird, like, secret passages, and there were uh, gargoyles that came to life, and there were – it was like magical realism. It was kind of like a bonkers show, and I feel like Stephen Brackett is such a beautiful weirdo that he just kind of – something about him really – taps into and um, uh, elevates and magnifies the uniqueness of shows, especially like that and like right. Be More Chill. Um, so you trusted that like this is the right guy to help me yeah. find this whip. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I certainly hoped that. And then right. once I got in the room with him, it was like, oh, of course, yes. Like he's so inclusive and collaborative and positive and constructive. Um, uh, yeah. So how do you start playing this character that is really completely in, in – it is up to your imagination to decide what a voice in someone's head, what that would be, right? So do, when you start kind of like brainstorming from the time you get the offer to rehearsal, what are you like – like it says Keanu Reeves in the script, yeah. right? So you have like little touchstones about – or the Matrix or whatever it is. There are some – you know, iconic images and people to start, I don't know, spitballing with yourself about, like, what you're going to do. And and so how do you begin? Absolutely. Um, for Like you said, you first I looked at the text and I saw what I had, which was uh, very different than the version of the show that we have now. But certain aspects of it were the same, like the part of Keanu Reeves. I knew that that was something that um, 
I wanted to play with the the not just kind of looking like Keanu Reeves, as the text says, but kind of sounding like Keanu Reeves as well. Um, that seemed like something that both made sense and also would be fun for me to work on. Um, I, uh, um, I would often just sit in a quiet place and close my eyes and imagine watching the show and try to imagine what I would want to see if I were somebody sitting down and seeing the show. Um, and so I, I, and I would make a list in my iPhone of all of these ideas that I had of like weird things that the script could do. And honestly, like 95% of them never saw the light of day. Right. Um, but can you um, remember any of them? Oh, sure. I was like, I, I was at one point I was really obsessed with really strange because the squip exists in this other plane of existence, I was sort of obsessed with like weird entrances and exits and how that could be, you know, uh, uh, manifested. I was I was interested in different random costume changes. You know, the squip can I imagine that the squip could wear whatever it wanted, you know, change its clothes at the drop of a hat. Right. Um, like because he's magic. Yeah. He, she, it, they it, are exactly, magic. Yeah. Exactly. It's so open to interpretation. Yeah. Um, so there were, you know, I, I don't know. Oh, gosh. Um, I feel like because uh, uh, I didn't know what the set was going to be like either, but there were, in my head there were like trampolines and there were like things that I was wow. throwing and there were different outfits, yes. you know, like uh, Cirque du Soleil squip. Cirque du Soleil yeah. squip. There were different, like, you know, I don't know if Jeremy would be into Star Trek or something, so I thought it would be cool to, like, enter in, like, a, you know, a bridge uniform or something sure. at some point. That's cool. Um, Plus, I'm everyone imagine... looks great in those uniforms. Right? Let's and that's honest. just me. I just wanted to put on a Star Trek uniform. <laughs> You're that's getting me thinking about things like imagining, like, throwing down, like, a a pill and then it's smoke and then you disappear. Oh, totally. Maybe some like yeah. you disappear under the stage. David like, Copperfield yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I, so off Broadway, I I like asked, I begged, I asked if like we ran out of money for a, like a trapdoor situation because I wanted to kind of really emphasize the the otherworldliness of the squip and the magic of it and sort of appearing out of nowhere. And so I like asked if I could please pay for like a trapdoor <laughs> or something. And they're like, we can't like there's just no way to put it in. You're um, like, I'll babysit extra hours. I <laughs> will. I was totally willing to do it. Um, well, it all has worked out. It has. Because yeah. the Squip's entrances and exits and costume changes are elaborate and exciting. And especially on Broadway, they're like, they're completely Broadway level. I mean, there's an entrance that's like Galinda, right? Like A little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like so much <laughs> going on that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So, so now we know that we have a lot of power, but we can't change the set for the most part, as actors in a show. Yeah. I think we should go to equity and change that rule immediately because <laughs> that would have been amazing. Um, you are in an interesting position where your character interacts with everyone but really is in a separate world yeah. from everyone. And I think, you know, as an actor, we're such community people and it's all about interacting and reacting with someone else, like no one acts by themselves, right? It's it's about listening um, as much as giving. So how do you handle being a part of a community that is the Be More Chill cast, the kid, the, the, the literally the, the characters in that play, they all go to high school together. Mr. Here and the teacher and you are sort of in different worlds sometimes than the rest of the play. Yeah. Um, 
What was that like for you? And can you talk about that a little sure. bit? Sure. At first it was super fun and it still is because I, I basically get to pretend like I'm a superhero. I get to, you know, uh, wear a cloak of invisibility. You know what I mean? It's like I'm a fly on the wall. I'm um, I, I'm both here and there and uh, have access to uh, infinite knowledge at the drop of a hat. Um, <clears throat> so at first it was super fun and it still is. But there definitely reached a point where – uh, uh, I started to feel a little sad because I started to feel a little disconnected from uh, the people around me. Um, uh, it, I love interacting with Will Roland. He's an incredible actor. And also, like, we just get along like two peas in a pod off stage too. Um, so if I had to pick one person to interact with at all only, it would be him. It's a win. But even yeah. still, it was just like I, I just – I started to – the whole family, you know, capital F family – uh, thing that that we have going on throughout the years with uh, Joe Iconis being the hub of that started to I just started to feel left out of it a little bit um, purely because of the circumstances on stage and also yeah. I think the geography of the theater doesn't help my my dressing room is kind of sequestered off a right. little bit in a separate corner uh. Um uh, so and you I, don't share a dressing room. I don't. Right. Which so is, it's this is my first private dressing room oh, really? on Broadway. Oh, cool. yeah. You have a studio apartment in New York City. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah. Um, but I did. I did start to get a little lonely, and I had to um, remedy that by visiting other people. I just had to start making the rounds every once in a while. I think you know, every once in a while, I'll end up in. The green room, uh-huh. the, the Mountain Dew green room, or I'll go upstairs and hang out with the swings. Or um, and I gotta say, like it, it was alarming the very first time. Yeah. It, it took a month or two because I think you were just getting settled into the role a bit. And yes. Then, then once he got a little more comfortable, he you know has twenty, thirty, was it forty minutes before you enter? Thirty-five. It, yeah, forty. I guess forty minutes. Forty. Yeah. So you know, at one point, a month or so in, all of a sudden, I look up during the opening number. We can watch on the monitor in the the VIP room. And Jason standing there, and it was in so, the VIP room. In the VIP room, right. yeah, in his red onesie on. that we they all have for for yeah. changing, and you know watching the, the opening number, which you'd really basically never seen or only seen uh, minimal parts of, and it, for me it was like the squip is watching, <laughs> the, and also I'm next to the squip yeah. during the play during yeah. B. Marshall. It yes. was yeah. so awesome. Like I will remember that forever. Um, Did, um, do the costumes uh, all live in your dressing room? No, no. They're none all... of our costumes live in any of our dressing rooms. Okay. There, we're always – there are two quick change booths on either side of the stage and then all of the changes happen either in those dressing – quick change rooms or in the wings. OK. If it's like a super quick change like uh, there's one that uh, – in the middle of Pitiful Children, that's in the wings because there's literally no time to go – three more steps into the like that would shave five seconds off of it and that's yeah. five Every seconds second. that we need. right it's like the marathon <clears throat> who's gonna win the marathon and yeah. it's literally like milliseconds yeah um and it makes all the difference totally so there is the 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 entity that is the squip yeah there is clothing that allows us as the audience to kind of understand it's you look like a king, right? Like it's very royal. It's very like he's it's very powerful. Towards the end, it yes. certainly feels like more the and more. fabrics are thick. Yes. And it's there's a lot of fabric. Yeah. You must um, be really hot. It's so hot. Yeah. Our theater is so hot right now. Yeah. And it's summer. And it's summer. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about the kind of squip choreography, as yeah. it were. 
and how that came to be because not only you know like you really do start out and it and whether you've seen the matrix or not joe and joe trace have mm-hmm. given us like okay will's character jeremy needs it to be keanu this is like the kind of movie he would be into the squip is amazing at figuring out what and who like to shape shift into the thing that will work for the person you are now entering mm-hmm. um and then when we're done, I want to know what you'd look like for me and for Sam in your mind, what, what the script would be for oh, me. Oh, interesting. Um, but, but also there's like this incredible choreography, handography, you know, and choreo for your body. And I would imagine that as much as, you know, your brilliant choreographer put it together, you might have had some input in terms of what would feel comfortable. So how did the squip language come to be totally um uh chase brock did the uh, by far brilliant. the brunt of the work yeah the brilliant work on that and he researched the kinds of dances that uh teens, do that, well that first <laughs> of all that teens would do and okay. uh, you know things that they would find online sort of sort of uh, uh cultural you know uh, uh phenomenons memes that they find online huh. and that's how jump style came about it's this belgian rave dance that he found that that um you know people do that's what uh, this is a, based a on. subset of people do not everybody but it's like some people are really into belgian jump style rave dancing um and so uh he another thing was finger tutting, hand tutting, um, and that's kind of the brunt of what the squip does. Uh, I think because it is now it's current, but also because uh, it looks kind of like a circuit board. It's like really rough, sharp angles. Um, it's severe. It's uh, uh, precise, um, and uh, and it just looks dope. And um, so he. While, you know, other people were rehearsing, we went into a tiny, tiny little closet room and he gave me a series of this hand finger tutting things. And I just I recorded them and I had to just sit there and do it over and over and over again. And whenever I was in rehearsal, I was like always the weird person that was just staring at myself in the mirror trying to refine these hand movements, because a lot of the times what feels like a very sharp right angle in your in your hands isn't quite precisely sharp. And so you have to you really fine tune it to make it look good. Um, <clears throat> but then after that, I, you know, sort of got to springboard off of all of his wonderful research and ideas. And and so there were moments w- that uh, were um, unshaped, that were left kind of raw, um, which feels vulnerable at first because you're like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. Right. What do I do with my body? Um, and uh, but. You know, after just breathing into those moments and staying present and watching what Will was doing, there was always usually some kind of thing that I could add on my own to to tell the story of when the squip is controlling Jeremy physically and when the squip is not controlling Jeremy physically and letting him uh, uh, flourish and kind of learn on his own. Um, <clears throat> so to answer your question... Chase did most of that stuff, and there are moments like in the fight sequence where I just sort of watched what Will was brilliantly doing and then created hand movements right, on like my own. Right, like you were own. then the marionette. Exactly, The, the, the yeah. puppeteer, and he's yeah. your marionette Which was in influenced way. by a lot of fan art. There's a lot of fan art which uh, portrays the squip as kind of this puppeteer, oh. and he's got all these all the characters on different strings of his hand, um, and... Uh, 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 
So thank you, fans, for inspiring uh, wow. something really cool in the show. Yeah. Are you, do you feel like a dancer when you think of yourself? What is your dance background? Uh, I do think of myself as a, a dancer at the end of his dance career. Um, I I love to dance. I, I was obsessed with theater from a very young age. And then when I was uh, a freshman in high school, I got obsessed with dance. And I didn't do theater at all. And I just committed myself to dance. I studied with a dance company called 24-7 Dance Force. Cool, Sam. Um, a, lot of, awesome. a lot of people from our company went on to be in So You Think You Can Dance. Cool. Um, it was a really, really great. And I was not good. Everybody around me was a lot better than I was, which was both hard, but also pushed me to get better a lot quicker than I would have otherwise. Um, where did you grow up? Hawaii. Okay. Where? where? Oahu. All right. So... How does I think you're our first guest from Hawaii? Okay. Mm-hmm. How did you come here? What got you to New York? Sure. Well, crazy story. When I was 10 years old, um, there was a uh, Canadian tour of Les Mis that was coming through Hawaii, and it was the first kind of big tour to come through Hawaii, and they wanted local uh, kids to play like a Rosh and Cosette for publicity reasons uh, to get people to come out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hometown see Hometown kids. Yeah, hometown kids. Uh, so I, I ended up auditioning and getting that, and I learned the, sh- the show in Hamilton, Ontario, and then I performed it in Hawaii for maybe a month, I think. Wait, you left home at 10? Yeah. Did you leave school or was it summer break? I, I left school. We had a chaperone and a, and a teacher, you know, somebody that was uh, 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 teaching us there. And you had an audition for anything before? I Not professionally. I did a lot of community theater okay. and a lot of choir stuff, like church choir stuff. Um, uh, Is that where you discovered a lot of performers – realized in church because that was where they sang publicly that the reaction they were getting was different than the person to their right and left singing yeah. in church was that where you discovered 100%, your 100 percent, yeah I the was, joy you brought to people yeah yeah i it, i that's where i discovered that you know um i i got solos you know in my little church uh it's called the keiki choir and keiki is uh um Hawaiian for child, uh, so the kids' choir. Um, I got little solos in that, and I was like, "Hey, this is kind of fun." And you know, I seem to be have like a kind of natural proficiency a little bit for for this thing. Um, and we would also do, you know, uh, musicals of Bible stories, like you know, singing about the begats and like singing about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Um, and uh, uh, that's, I think, where I initially fell in love with with performing was right. in uh, church. And then you started doing it at school? In community theater. Okay. not. And do you have brothers or sisters? I have two older sisters. Did they perform? Were you guys at home like singing show yeah, tunes together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were always performing something. We would make up our own show tunes. We would make up our own uh, magic shows and our own skits and our own dances and our own, you know, we would create these immersive, like we would turn rooms into like jungles and, you know, uh, I wish there was you guys could see Jason right now because I'm literally, he is like back in his childhood. Bedroom. I went back a little bit. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Posters, really lit up what there. posters were on your wall when you were like a tween? Probably video game posters. I was super oh. into video games. Yeah. So what were like, you some of your favorites? Um, I remember really loving a game called Chrono Trigger. It's a role playing game. 
Um, what else? Uh, 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 Were you a Mario Kart or not? Yeah, I loved yeah. Mario Kart. I 100%. saw you wearing a Zelda shirt the other day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I liked Zelda. I didn't have an uh, N64, though, so I, at one point I just I stopped. You know, I played the the NES Zelda, like the really old yeah. Zelda games. Um, and then were you walking around with like a little Nintendo? Yeah, I had your... a Game Boy. Yeah. And then I had a Game Boy Advance. And then... Because um, you got good grades. So they were like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's amazing. So how perfect. Like everything you did as a kid perfectly led you to this show. A little bit, You yeah. know, like in terms of your talent and your interests and like... The world and yeah. creating worlds that yes. are magical and yeah, and and technical. Always having an interest in musical theater and sci-fi and dance and um, you know, kind of being a weird O, a weirdo to a weird certain extent. Dash o. A weird O, yeah. <laughs> um, so so Gavroche when you were ten or so in Hawaii. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So. So you go to Ontario and then come back. Yeah, perform it for, you know, a month and that's it. But they keep everybody on file sort of nationally because they go through kids so quickly. Everybody's – You grow. You grow. You hit puberty. They kick you out. Um, So – and and they can't have auditions constantly because that's very expensive. So they just keep people on file. So I got a call one day asking if I wanted to come to – uh, New York and and be Gavroche and Les Mis for six months. And, How old were and you? I said yes. I was uh, ten slash eleven years old. And your parents are game. Yeah, uh, uh, yes. I mean, I didn't realize what a huge sacrifice that was at the time. And but my mom uh, came to New York to live with me for six months. My dad and my two sisters stayed in Hawaii. Um, and do you have a tutor? Do they enroll you in school? What I, happened? I went to school. I went to professional children's school, uh, uh, which, you know, is I, – I, I was in classes with the Culkins and um, – All of them? Macaulay and Rory and there's more? Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, um, Quinn uh-huh. Culkin, Kira, Kieran Culkin. Um, Did you know who they were? I knew who Macaulay was. Yeah, that was and then post I, Home Alone. That was post Home Alone for okay. sure, for sure. So I knew who Macaulay was. I, I didn't know who the other. I didn't know that there were so many of them yeah. until I like, went to PCS. Cam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're in school, and so you're doing the show. Are there people that were in Les Mis when you did it who we would know now, like who kind of came up with you? Uh, yes, I think so. Lacey Chabert. She was in the movie of Mean Girls. Um, uh, I think she played Gretchen. Uh, who else did I do it with? Savannah Wise. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Sarah Uriarte Berry. I don't know if you know who that is. She was. She's an incredible performer. She was one of the Bells in Beauty and the Beast, and she was in um, oh that show that I love. Uh, uh, Adam Gettle wrote it. Um, oh. Light in the Piazza. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she's incredible. Yes. Uh, uh, Craig Schulman. Um, Who is your Jean Valjean? Craig Schulman okay. and Dudu Fisher. Cool. So you're 10 years old. Yeah. You're now living in New York City, very different from Hawaii. Yeah. Um, and are you starting to see theater? Are you seeing other things? Are you like, oh, my God? Yeah. Um, I, I saw a ton of theater while I was here. Uh, I'm not sure how because I, I never missed a show. But, right. Uh, I, I saw Tommy, which just blew me away. I remember jumping out of my seat with a, when that first chord, the guitar chord struck. Mm-hmm. And I was just so – I was captivated for the entire show because I, I liked – Rock music. Yes, and now you're in that show that yeah. is doing that. If you think about your feeling 
of seeing Tommy. That is every young yep. person's That's experience. That's happening at least once every performance at Be More Show, which That's is so, so cool. cool. It's yeah. just like that is now, like talk about paying it forward. Yeah. We're now giving that experience to all these young people. Did you stay or did you end up going back? No, I went back to okay. Hawaii. My, my mom wanted me to uh, have a, a normal arrest of a childhood, you know, and, and um, it's possible to have a childhood in the entertainment industry, but it's f- a lot harder to mm-hmm. have a childhood than it is just normally. So, so, so my next question then is it, it, the soap period of your life yeah. uh, is in your twenties. Like, yeah, that was um, kind of very soon after I had graduated um, for college. So that was my, uh, early to mid twenties, playing a teenager with actual teenagers on a soap opera. Not um, weird at all. <laughs> <laughs> I I never thought I would end up on a soap. I just never thought that that was something that I would end up doing. I, it wasn't I, on your radar. No, something not you even, even a little bit. To do, uh, but I was so glad that I did because I learned so much. It felt like I was getting paid to take an on-camera acting class. And you are. I'm not. Uh, um, and to learn all those lines and to just be that. It's very good practice. Yeah. Very, very good practice. It's really nonstop. And I, I wouldn't say that um, I'm proud of my work necessarily on the show, but I'm very glad that I did it. And I feel like I learned a lot. Julianne Moore, Judith Light, some extraordinary actors. Yes. Uh, that that uh, we all know and love have talked so much about the exactly as you described it, like the best acting school. Um, work ethic and showing up and knowing your lines, doing it on your own yeah. most of the time, yeah. building that muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like going to the gym. Yeah, yeah, you work that muscle. And family. And... Like soaps really have a strong family dynamic in terms of the cast because you're in a dark basement somewhere shooting this stuff sure, when sure. the rest of the world is you know, outside in sunlight and, and – um, and the repetition of just the, the technique of it and having to hit certain marks and knowing, like, how stories are told, f- it, you know, from the perspective of a camera as opposed to this perspective of a proscenium. And, right. Um, um, you know, being able to negotiate, you know, a multi-camera setup where there's five cameras and you have to, you know, find the right lens at the right time. And it's um, – there's a lot of technique to it that uh, you can only really learn just by doing it. How many years were you on a soap? Three and a half. So you shot it in New York. Uh-huh. And and New Yorkers especially really watched soap operas at that time and would probably know who you were when you were walking around yeah. outside. Yeah. So that was probably at the beginning of you getting used to interacting with fans. That's correct. Yeah, it was. All the time, whether you're ready for – without a stage door, like yeah. just walking around. Oh, it always happened on public transportation. Yeah, they'd be like, you're Marco. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm Marco on the bus. On the right, yeah. right. Um, so you are now in something that has the most incredibly loyal fan base, yeah. passionate fan base. Uh-huh. So much of why the show is happening is because literally the fan art that's influencing the show itself. Yeah. And then the fans that got the show to Broadway in, in, in a big way. In a huge in way, a huge in a game-changing way. way, yeah. Um, do you – what has that been like for you, having this outpouring of love – as well as an outpouring of a feeling of ownership of something by people you don't know. It 
feels like a huge responsibility, but it also feels so exciting. I've never experienced anything like this before. It's this the most amazing wave of enthusiasm that we get to surf on top of. Um, and, and I feel lifted up. I feel uplifted by, um, by the energy of the fans. It's really incredible. I feel very fortunate. And how are you able to, you have such a, uh, it's a big singing role. Mm -hmm. Um, how are you taking care of yourself? What are the things that you do to be the best squip you can be? Sure. Every I, night. I stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, 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 I warm up. I, um, I really, there was a period of doing the show off Broadway where I was sort of on the verge of, of not being able to sing what I needed to sing and also speak what I needed to speak because there's always a period for me when I'm uh, 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 first doing a show where at first you rely on adrenaline and it's all great, but then the repetition of something can be very um, uh, 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 destructive to either physically or to my uh, voice. Mm -hmm. And it's always because of excess tension. It's always because of that. And so I'm, I, I go through a period where I have to navigate that and I have to um, figure out how I can tell the story that I want to tell without sacrificing anything or feeling like I'm marking, but without uh, gripping muscles that don't need to be gripped. And so that requires, it's really hard. It requires, I'm not a good multitasker. Um, and it requires multitasking. You have to be able to do your show, but also like keep a part of your brain focused on what is happening in your body when, and what is extraneous tension and what's not. And so, uh, I managed to get through that period, that learning period off Broadway. So when I, we came to Broadway, I, I knew, how to do the Keanu voice um, and sing the material that I needed to sing eight times a week. And protect yourself. Yeah. You know, we have so many amazing questions from fans about specifics about you, the show. Yeah. But you happen to be here the morning after a kind of historical night yeah. on Broadway because the number of Asian actors that were on stage at once last night. In principal roles. Yeah. In principal all, roles. All of the last four bows yes. were uh, people of Asian descent. Which yeah. I believe is a first in a show that it certainly is not about that yeah. specific thing. Yeah. Were you aware of that when you began the show last night or yes. when did it hit you? So what was that like for you guys backstage and in, in leading up to it? It was so it? exciting. It was it, it was um it felt it felt so good. It 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 felt both incredible but also like just another like of course something like that would happen with Be More Chill because Be More Chill is that kind of show. Mm -hmm. Um so it felt both extraordinary and also like of course. Um uh, and it is so cool. I mean, um, I forget his name, but the actor that is the uh, one of the main characters in that new Netflix movie, Always Be My Maybe, he was giving an interview uh, uh, sort of about um, his life and, and being an actor of, of an Asian American actor. And he was like, yeah, that's what happens when you when you populate a story with a lot of Asian people and not just like token one or two token people right. here or there, what happens is they get to be real people. Yeah. They get to, mm -hmm. um, um, and, uh, and there's no one, I don't mean that there's only one real way to be an Asian American. I mean that, um, they get to be all of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Fill out all Fill the out roles. Fill out the entire gamut. Yeah. The entire Did spectrum. Did you 
look for that when you were growing up and watching things? Were you like, I don't see me there, or I do see me there? What? I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I. Do you think but that's that did happen. You grew happen. up in Hawaii, and you were Part just of it sort of that. not feeling alone in any way. I mean, I was surrounded on a daily basis by people that looked like me. Right. Um, it's sort of this Asian American utopic utopia melting pot, um, but. In the entertainment industry, I didn't see people that looked like me. I remember watching this um, ad for, you know, a, a, a milk ad, and there's this. Um, it's a kid, and he's like really skinny, and he's blonde, and then he drinks milk, and he looks into the mirror, and he sees his future self that's, you know, drunk a lot of milk, and so he's like really big and hulking and blonde. And I was like, I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if I drink enough milk if I'll be blonde one day and white. Like I thought that I would like turn white someday. Um, and get blue eyes and 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 so the things that i saw on screen didn't reflect who i was and so i always grew up thinking of myself as white because that's what i saw right on camera and it's really interesting playing uh a you know a version of keanu reeves in the in be more chill because he was sort of the first celebrity that kind of looked sort of like me and it's it's uh, an honor and also feels kind of like full circle sure. to be uh, uh, doing a loving uh, impersonation of him. Do we know, is Keanu aware that this is happening? I am trying so hard as the influencer marketing head of the show to get him there. <laughs> that oh, that would be, be so cool. We're coming at him from all angles. So We're trying bad. so we gotta hard. we got to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, between we the We need of him us? in that yeah. audience. Yeah. I, I just think it would be so special for him because he's such an integral part of the story and in this very celebratory way that's yeah. like not even remotely negative yeah. and not even remotely making fun of him anyway. Like it's just very much like no. He's, he's, he's a part of it. Yeah. If we could have, if we could be someone else, if we're Jeremy here, that's who we want to be. Yeah. So. yeah. If you are Jeremy here, that is your ideal like version of cool is Keanu yeah. Reeves. And I get it. I understand yeah, that. I guess, he's yeah. not wrong. Yeah. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah. So stay tuned. Keanu Reeves could okay. come. <clears throat> so we have some questions from fans. Um, the first question is from Sam a Mayer? super fan of the show named Sam Mayer, uh-huh. if you've ever heard of him, uh, which is... You and and Gerard have a lot of Broadway experience, but much of the cast, much of the rest of the cast doesn't. A lot of people are making their debuts. A lot of debuts, a lot of people just one or two credits. Um, What was that like in the rehearsal room and and the transfer to Broadway and and the, you know, the first few weeks of previews of of negotiating that and you sort of being the the most experienced cast member uh, on the stage? I don't know. Uh, It never felt like... It never felt – I never really processed that. And um, I never felt – because everybody is so – cares so deeply about the show and about the material that they're doing, um, it never felt like uh, people weren't doing their job. Or you know what I mean? Right. Like everybody – it seemed like everybody had done 50 Broadway shows because they cared so much about the material that they were doing. Um, and they wanted it to be good for themselves and for the fans and also for Joe. Um, Was there ever a moment where you felt like people were sort of looking up to you or looking to you for advice or guidance? As I never felt that. But you talk to other people. Maybe yeah. there was. Maybe uh-huh. I wasn't aware of a certain dynamic or something. But I know I never was aware of that. That's a good that. sign. It's a, it's a, that's a great kudos to the rest of the cast yeah. for 
for you not even noticing or thinking of it in that way, which yeah. is great. Okay, so some questions from fans on Twitter. Um, our first one is from someone named Logan, uh, and she would like to know if you were ever nervous on stage. Are you ever nervous on stage? Oh, yeah, always. Um, I, I continue to be nervous on stage, always. Um, uh, that is a thing that never really goes away. I'm nervous when I audition. Um, I find that the longer a run goes on, you know, the less I tend to get nervous uh, on stage. Uh, but but um, that never goes away. So I, I find that breathing helps. I find that planting my feet on the ground helps. Um, I find uh, uh, that, um, you know, feeling very prepared and rehearsed helps so that I can navigate those nerves in a constructive way and not let them um, uh, um, – yeah. Got it. Do you Get have pre-show me. rituals? Uh, a little bit. I, I sing along to the show to warm up and also because it's fun because, you know, Joe just writes really good pops. So you do the opening number in your dressing room? I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, I also sing play rehearsal in my dressing room. Who are I, you? So you're obviously I'm everybody. Christy. I'm everybody. Oh, I sing two-player <laughs> game in my dress. Like, I sing it all. So if there was an emergency, you could probably go on I for probably everybody. Could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One-man show. Um, Do you look at yourself in the mirror and are you like, I'm the squib? No, I don't. That's but, me. But I do. No, <laughs> uh, I, I do. At first I would. Um, oh, man, I would just scroll like like I would go down spirals, endless spirals of scrolling through Keanu Reeves pictures and just being inspired by all of the different roles that he's played throughout his you know expansive career. And um, I would definitely, you know, at, I don't have to do this anymore, but at first I had to just speak a little bit in the Keanu voice just to make sure that it was there and I could find it. But now it's something that I can Can you do, do it right now? Could you <sighs> answer the next question? <laughs> no. Is it right there, yeah, though? Yes. I could, but yeah. I don't I want to. I don't mean literally. To. I mean, I don't mean literally, oh, do, yes. but it's right. It's always yeah. like oh, if yeah, you yeah, had yeah. to. Absolutely, for sure. And And why <laughs> wouldn't you want to? Because it feels... Um, I don't know. Why wouldn't I want... That's such a great question. Um, I, I, um, I feel embarrassed. I still get very shy because I get nervous that because I still get nervous that it won't sound uh, legit, like exactly how you want it to, or that, do you know what that is? Oh my gosh, you know, this is turning into British, actor's therapy. But if you were doing a British show, right? Yeah. Like, you know how sometimes you do, you're like, I'm doing a British accent. Like, like, um, who was I talking to? Oh, when I interviewed Stephanie J. Block, she's like, I'm sounding like Cher when I ask my daughter if she wants Fruit Loops. Yeah. Right? Like, it's so, she's uh-huh. always checking in. Do I still have it? Yeah. Or not even sure that she has it? Yeah. But anyway, I don't want this to be therapy. But I was just curious <laughs> if it felt like, if it if it's just fun or just, I don't know. I would imagine it's like me. I I speak French fluently, or I should say I used to speak French fluently. And, like, people would always say, like, say something in French. And, like, it's the last thing in the world you want to do when someone asks you that. you feel like you're showing off? No, I don't know. It just doesn't feel Because I really want to hear you speak French right now. See? And, like, we're dying here. Yeah, we're dying here French. And, like, it just doesn't feel, I don't know. Why is that? That's so interesting. so interesting. I think part of it is, for me, is, like, uh, I, I'm 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 an introvert, and so I don't I don't love performing in in 
arenas that aren't like set up to be right. performance. And with the full warm up and the and the full sort of rituals to go through to get ready, I would imagine that was yeah. true even for speaking a foreign language, where it was like you know uh, if, if I'm speaking a foreign language or speaking my native language throughout the day, it, there's a few moments you need to kind of like shift and stuff. And when people ask you to do it on the spot, I also but. find that it's not as fun for me to do the Keanu voice when I don't have the full Keanu mm-hmm. gear on and the costumes to help back it up. Um, like when we were recording the album, there was a little bit of it just took me a couple takes to really kind of tap into Keanu and to the squip, really, right. not just Keanu, but into the squip because I'm so influenced by what I'm wearing. Of and, course. Yeah. That's the power of like all the different departments yeah. that take part in creating a character. Exactly. And I think the most interesting thing for listeners, I'm sure right now, is people have an assumption that performers are naturally extroverts. Uh And it's always very surprising to people to find out how shy someone is without (laughs) context, that they need certain things set up in order to feel brave enough um, or a character to hide behind or whatever it is. And I just find that I just love when people talk about that because there's an assumption and it's often not the case. And it's such a beautiful thing that Mm -hmm. someone who isn't naturally a performer outside of the theater or film or television, um, that we're not all attention-seeking, audience-grabbing animals, but that it's about telling a story and the integrity and the dignity of the profession. Yeah. Um, we're not like puppets yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um, you which said is, it better than better than I ever could. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think, I mean, we have had a lot of experience with it, right? Yeah. Like we've all been through this for a long time. And so when you're suddenly also in a show and you're like doing seven talk, you know, go on you know, the morning shows and do all this stuff. It's part of the job, but it's a strange part of the job. It is, yeah. To do things, excerpts from your show out of context mm-hmm. to sell tickets. Like, yeah. it's a whole other. Yep. Um, all right, next question, Sam. So, leading into this next question, Alana, do you know that one of Jason's nicknames is Farmer Tam? Well, I didn't know it was Farmer Tam. I didn't know that either. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Aren't you who told me it's Farmer Tam? No. No. Oh. Well, but, in my mind, I've been thinking you're the one who told me that, so I hope that you enjoy okay. this nickname. I do enjoy the okay. nickname. I love it. I, I enjoy I it immensely. You should be wearing my overalls I today, should. Farmer Tam. I should. What are you doing? Yeah. So, it, and to the reason end. I know that is because Jason is. Uh, I always see you in the theater going to water your plants because I would imagine you don't have a water source in your dressing room, so you take them somewhere else to I, water them. Yes, uh, and also uh, a light source. I don't have uh-huh. um, a light in my dressing room, so I take them up to the third floor in uh. the sep- in the other side of the theater to the wig room, hair and wig room, um, to get light. And you post on social media pictures of your garden. Yeah, I've yeah. seen on occasion. So so Marie met George Salazar, uh-huh. is someone's name on Twitter, yeah. uh, has a question. She says, I started a garden because of you. What's your favorite plant and why? That is like truly the hardest question because every single plant gives something uh, unique and, and um, that is truly truly an impossible question to answer maybe, but maybe i want to what is a favorite plant sure sure um <clears throat> my uh uh my mom has uh some roses on the side of her house and um uh i i just really like them and they remind me of her and every time i go to visit it's just something that i associate with her and so i started growing the, the same variety of rose in my backyard and um and I like it because it makes me think of my mom. 
Oh, are they lovely. are they successful? Yes. Or is the planting successful? Oh, they're thriving. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So did you learn gardening from your mom? Was that something you did growing up or is it a passion um, you came to on your own? Well, uh, I didn't do gardening per se growing up, but I was always interested in plants. Um, I remember when I would come home, I would uh, sort of make the rounds to see what had changed. I loved seeing day to day how things were growing. I just, I see plants. You know what I mean? Sometimes people have trouble taking care of them and it's because they just don't, they forget that they, plants exist they in their house. Granted. Yeah. Um, but I, I like to like look at them and see them and, um, and take care of them. Uh, uh, so I've always been like pretty decent with house plants. Um, I've killed my fair share cause there's, you know, you just kind of learn by, Mistake. By mistakes. Um, and I'm learning a lot about uh, uh, farming now and gardening um, because because I am lucky enough to have uh, uh, an outdoor space of my own. Thus, the Farmer Tam Farmer moniker. Tam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what, the reason I know is because I often write a card to our influencers who come. Mm-hmm. And I always say, who's your squit? Mine is. And I have a default answer. My default, maybe I won't say it yet because I think we're going to ask the question of like having Jason pick our scripts. But I have a default answer that's for most people. But every now and then I change it up depending on the person. Mm-hmm. And for one person uh, who knew you, who was it? It was someone, uh, maybe it was your friends who were in the soaps with you. I wrote in their card, Who's your squip? Mine is Jason Tam, but specifically when he's gardening. <laughs> so Farmer Tam. Was my script that day, and 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 I guess it's often my script. Well, the that. way you describe your plants, I mean, anytime anyone recommends that we see things, like really see them, it's a great way to go through yeah. the world. Um, so, Sycamore Squirrel on Twitter has a question for you, which I'm also curious to know the answer to. What is the thing you look forward to most doing each show? Um, I love the backstage stuff that happens. So there are these weird, you know, traditions that happen, um, you know, moments where I wave to Dennis, who's playing the bass, um, and moments where I have a, a every single night I have a check-in with Stephanie Shu at a certain point, and we used to have this running gig, gag, you know, uh, improvisational thing with um, a pumpkin that would go out on a table during the Halloween number, and... Um, uh, what else? Because you see pumpkins at a certain time. Our stage manager, yeah, yeah. Because I see, I really <laughs> see the pumpkins. Um, we would pretend that this little pumpkin was our kid, and sometimes we would eat its brains. <laughs> so it was, it was. We it got really dark. Um, so we moved on. So we moved. It wasn't on. helping yeah. the show, right? <laughs> we quickly moved on from there. Yes. But um, uh, yeah, I love and this all is the silent stuff. improvisation, like you or your backstage spooning the brain. It's quiet improvisation. It's not silent, uh-huh. but it's quiet. Have you um, ever cracked up on stage? Yes, what, I have. So you're you're a lot. You I don't the, I don't do it often. But I, you have. I I can stay pretty. There are certain things though, like for <laughs> Will um, at the most quiet moment of the show, uh, right before um, I sing the very sort of quiet ending of um, Oh, everything about you is so terrible, and and he's you know it's really sinking in. He's really sad. He's really letting that into himself, yeah. and that is hurtful. Yeah. But as the squip, it's what he, Jeremy needs to hear in that moment yes. in order for him to. You're actually giving him a present. Yes. If you're the squip, it hurts yes. now, but it's going to make him stronger in the long run. Anyway, I digress. Um, he sneezed, but like the the cutest little mouse internal because he was trying not to sneeze so bad, and so he just it sounded like this. 
Like, I don't know if you could even hear that online, but, uh, um, it, and then he shook his head a little bit and then he had this, like this <laughs> grin, like he, like he had done something he shouldn't have. And I, I laughed through the rest of the number. I thought it was so hilarious and I just, I couldn't just not. Just an adorable little sneeze. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. So. So sneezes. That's my sneezes weakness. As, as if we an want actor, to break yeah. you on stage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sneeze. So how how did you phrase this earlier that you would like to hear what Jason thinks is who who he thinks is our scripts? Is that what you wanted to ask? Well, first of all, do you have what do you think of the whole squip concept? What do you think oh of the Oh my gosh, squip? that's such a big yeah. question. Um a truncated what do I, what do I think about yeah. the huge squip concept? I mean, I think that it is um so appealing. I mean, there's part of us that wants every part of us a little part of us wants to have a squip. It's, it represents um, ambition, I think. Um, you know, what we're willing to do and who we might be willing to hurt in order to get what we want. Um, and I, I hope, and it seems like, as much fun as people have imagining to have a squip and, sure. and embodying the squip, it's fun to sort of play the squip. But people, for the most part, really understand that how hurtful that concept is and how destructive and um and maybe not safe that is um uh, uh, uh does it hurt your feelings as an actor when the squip gets their due sometimes yeah i feel uh, uh, i often feel a, a huge sense of betrayal at the end from jeremy this you know somebody that um as the squip i have invested all of my, you know, um, processing power into bettering his life and not just his life, but eventually the squip realizes that fixing Jeremy isn't enough. And in order to really get Jeremy what he wants, he needs to be able to control every single, he can't just control the output of Jeremy. He has to control the input of everything that's coming into Jeremy's life. And the only way that the squip can do that is by squipping everybody else, whether they want it or not. But also... In a sense, the squip also realizes how much everybody else is suffering. Even the most popular kids in school are often suffering the most and just hiding it the most. And um, and so the the best way to eliminate that is to squip everybody, and then you have instant um, everybody's synced up. Everybody's uh, everybody's problems are solved. But you know, looking at that from an outside meta perspective, it's an instantaneous surface level solving things it doesn't solve any of the deeper soul it doesn't there's no soul it doesn't solve any of the deeper issues it simply um it simply makes everybody the same so when you were fantasizing and then we'll get to my earlier question about i would imagine when you first got the job okay so for jeremy it's keanu reeves Mm -hmm. did you fantasize like okay so for jason if this were real and not a play my squip would look like or be I didn't think about that until people started to ask me that question. Um, like fans started mm-hmm. to ask me that question, and uh, uh, and it would change daily, and it still does. I think s- sometimes my answer is uh, Daniel Day Kim, just because he's like a badass Asian dude and a great actor um, and a really nice human being. Um, uh, sometimes it's Patty Smith because she just doesn't give a f about anything, and she's always. Uh, she uses everything in her life to fuel her creativity and she doesn't judge anything. Sometimes she'll just, I love um, 
uh, M Train, I think it was, because she talks a lot about just sitting down and wa- binge watching like CSI or binge watching these like really kind of not great TV not shows. Art. Not art. In not the way like we would think art. she would only watch yeah, like documentaries. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. But she doesn't judge it. She and she lets it, um, you know. Influence her in a in a really beautiful way. Um, I love Patty Smith watching CSI. That's amazing. Yeah, right. I want to like think hang out with her and watch CSI. Yeah, <laughs> just um, chill with Patty watching CSI. Yeah, it changes all the time. At, at first, it was like a strange question when we were doing off Broadway because immediately we had up the post-it note board where people write who's your script, right, and right. it took me a few weeks to kind of wrap my head around that because I was like, wait, like it is kind of a bad thing. Like there's some negativity in the sense of like you know the script has to give optic nerve blocking to you and like we we people out and so it took me a while to sort of reconcile that people just thought of the question in the in the very positive way for the most part you know it seemed yeah. like it was asking Squip seemed to be synonymous with inspiration yes. in the way they were posing like, the question idol? there. Right. Yeah. right, or who, if you could have more of what they, the way they lived your, uh, it seemed to me, are there people in the world who are living a life that you aspire to? Right. Yeah. Um, and how do you bring yourself to that? Yeah. And that's the message right. of this show, Like right? people who you wish they could just tell you how they are doing it because that's what you want to be doing. Seems really right. good. And who, of course. Who is your answer normally, Alana? I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have it in that way. I mean, for a long time, you know, this year it was Michelle Obama. I mean, there was just a mm-hmm. long a time this year where we got to know her so much more when she was on her book tour. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we saw her take her position as first lady and hashtag use it for good in ways we hadn't seen before and certainly we're not seeing right now. Mm. Um, but I thought her desire to make herself human for us now that she could, was an extraordinary thing. And to give us insight to what it really is to be in a position like that um, and all the hell that they went through mm-hmm. and the ways in which I felt like she was a protective mother who really tried to shield us from the ugliness because she knew how much it meant to the world that they were in that house, symbolically mm-hmm. and realistically mm-hmm. on day to day. So I would say when when Be More Chill first happened and the post-it notes were going up at the Signature Theater, I definitely would have written Michelle Obama. That's a good one. Yeah. My my yeah. classic answer is Carrie Brownstein, the star of Portlandia, and she's also oh, yeah. uh, in a band, Slater Kenny. She is like a literal rock star who's also this incredibly comedic genius and terrific actress and drop-dead gorgeous and just like living the life that like – I would imagine that that like that's who I aspire to be. Yes. Yeah, that's another um, one. But of course, Farmer Tam has been my script on certain days. <laughs> and I think what's important to say is that after getting to spend this hour with actual Jason Tam, I think I can also now integrate Jason Tam into oh, my list of people who are you. my script, the the actual script himself. And also just to see like you play a very what could be considered a pretty self-involved character. I mean, we're all very self-involved, but but as much as um, you know, there's a there's a way in which you, Jason, are in the world and just you're you're all goodness. Like you're you just bring so much goodness into the world, and I think why your squip is such a beautiful, complicated, not superficial character, not someone pretending to be Keanu Reeves, but the kind of humanity that you bring to that character that on the page could have been a more three-dimensional idea about something 
is in no small part to the way in which you live your life. I mean, I just think you are an extraordinary human being, and the squip is just so compelling every second you're on stage because you manage to convince us because you bring so much of the complexity. The world isn't black and white, and there are things about the squip and what the squip is trying to do, which is kind of extraordinary. Like truly, the squip is very ambitious, and we it's a weird thing in the world. Like, is ambition a good thing or a bad thing? And I think what ambition is something that we aspire to and have, but it also brings good into the world. Sure. It's sort of like technology in yes. the mind that Michael has in the show where it's not it's neither good or bad. It's how you use it. It's how you implement it that is that matters most. Yes. Um yeah. And and maybe I want to take it back. It's not that he's self involved. He has an agenda that he believes in mm-hmm. um and believes in it for Jeremy. And then it goes all there's an, a global domination idea that yes. sort of sends it off on this, like, wait, now I am yeah. the all-powerful Oz. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're just extraordinary. And whatever you're doing to prepare each night, I mean, I've seen the show not as many times as Sam, but I've been lucky enough to see it a lot. Uh, your voice is just one of the most singular, most beautiful voices thank uh, on the planet and right now on Broadway specifically. And thank you for sharing your talent and your soul and your heart with us today, with the fans, at the stage door, all of it. Um, you're you're like a superhuman. You really are a superhuman. So thank you. Thank you. To to close this out, a fan on Twitter reminded us that in previous episodes we've ended with a question, uh, and I'd like to end with that one today, which is finish this sentence. Jason Tam is. Uh, uh, very lucky to be and be more chill. <laughs> Jason Tam is uh, over-caffeinated right now from drinking this iced coffee beside me. Um, uh, uh, Jason Tam is um, uh, feeling very shy because Jason Tam just got complimented a lot by the two people that are sitting in front of him. And so it's – and I have very – I have trouble, like, letting that in. So uh, thank you very much for being so supportive and for uh, letting me come on here and, and – um, and uh, for actor therapy that happened earlier, <laughs> and for letting me talk about my ideas, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, and thank you for, um, for the fans. Yeah. Come on, come on, go, go, come on. Thank you for listening. Hey, you can find us on Instagram at How to Be More Chill. And one quick thing before we go, could you go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen on and just take a moment to rate and review us? We would really appreciate it. And do not forget, this is Alana. This is Sam. Tell us how to be more chill. Never hung with a girl like you before. I don't know if you know it, but I am sure that for me you are an upgrade. 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 Hey there, I'm Kimberly Schmidt. Are you in love with the podcast you're listening to? Kevin Jager here. Did you know it's part of the Practically Perfect Broadway Podcast Network? And I'm Brian Plofsky. The Broadway Podcast Network features over 30 podcasts to feed the theater passion in all of us. Feed me, Seymour! Wait, over 30? I feel like I'm running out of time. It doesn't have to be agony because we have a very good place to start. 
try out the Broad Wasted podcast with the three of us. And yes, it is what it sounds like. Join us every Tuesday for a hilarious happy hour with the best and brightest on Broadway. We drink, play games, share laughs, and did I mention drink with your favorite Broadway stars? From Jeremy Jordan, Patty Murin, Jessica Vosk, and Carolee Carmelo. To James Monroe Eigelhart, Sierra Bogus, George Salazar, and Alice Ripley. We have too much fun with too many friends of the show to mention. And on BPN, there's a whole new world of theater podcasting at your fingertips. Alongside the Broad Wasted podcast, you can discover other great established shows and exclusive podcasts that were made just for the BPN network. So defy gravity and fly on over to broadwaypodcastnetwork.com. Or go direct to our page at bpn.fm backslash broadwasted. And follow, follow, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Broadwasted, and the network is Broadway Podcast Network. We just can't wait to be a part of your weekly theater podcast lineup. Thank Thank you and cheers! Zoot-doo-wop-bum! Thank you for listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Make sure to visit us online at broadwaypodcastnetwork.com, on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network, or on Twitter at BWAPod Network.